Hello, welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast, hosted by me, Jack Perks. Professionally, I'm a wildlife cameraman, but I dabble in podcasting, and each Tuesday we release an episode as I have a chat with scientists, artists, filmmakers, and passionate people all about nature in a light-hearted and certainly not serious way. Hello and welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast. I'm your host, Jack Perks. Now today we've got a fantastic show for you. I have got Elliot Keane from Nottinghamshire Wildlife Trust. He's the engagements officer there and he also heads up the tours of the beaver enclosures at Idle Valley Nature Reserve in North Knotts. Now Idle Valley is the largest nature reserve in Nottinghamshire and it also is home to the largest beaver enclosure in the UK currently. So rather than interview the same three or four people who always get interviewed about beavers on podcasts, I decided to do something a little bit different and actually go out onto a reserve, look at some of the beaver signs, talk about the beavers there. Some of the concerns, I know a lot of anglers are maybe a little bit worried about some of the things that beavers do, as well as other people's general flooding and whatnot. So we address all those concerns that people might have about beavers and talk about the minuses and the many bonuses as well. But first... Let's have a look at buymeacoffee.com and the messages that you people have left. So it's always nice. There have been a few messages, so I'm going to read those out. I just want to say on the sponsorship front, I am talking to someone currently. So I'm tickling them for money. So we may have a sponsor in the very near future. So do please bear with me on that. One of the things I've always been reluctant to do on this podcast is plug too much of my own stuff. So I don't generally, for example, I, I sell prints, I sell cards, calendars, photography workshops, but you very rarely hear me plug them. I tend to just sort of do the podcast own thing. But considering that I, I do need to earn some dollars somehow, I might start chucking in the cheeky plug for some of the other things that I do. And that ties in nicely to today's episode because I also run photography workshops with Nottinghamshire Wildlife Trust at Attenborough Nature Reserve. So if you want to do a photography day with me, you can join me at Attenborough. There's tea and cake. I made sure that we got that. And in the near future, I will be running beaver photography days at Idle Valley. We're still working on that. I've also got, don't worry, it's just not going to be me plugging stuff for the whole podcast. Just bear with me. Uh, I've also got a calendar at the moment, which is a UK fish calendar, 2023. 12 underwater pictures of fish that I've taken. So if you know an angler, a fish naturalist, fish fancier who might enjoy that, I've got a few copies left. There's a link in the description. It's a tenner. And as a podcast offer, I will also chuck in two free greetings cards if you buy it from the podcast. If you just mention, I heard this on the podcast, I'll give you some free greetings cards as well. Perfect for the gift for fish fanciers and for someone that you don't like who doesn't like fish as well if you want to annoy them. That's always a good shout. Right, let's get to these messages on buymeacoffee.com. Okay, so the first one is from Thwom. Thwom, I can't work from Paul Parsons and he's put hi Jack thanks for the great podcast today I am listening to your talk with Jules Howard but I am way in the future of 2022 that's spooky I've just bought Jules's book as I am planning a wildlife pond for photography next spring good man Paul have a beer and put the change in the mic kitty cheers mate Paul it should be buy me a, uh, a beer.com really because I don't even drink coffee. But yeah, thanks for messaging, mate. Um, good luck with your pond. Ponds are fantastic for photography. I'm sure you'll have an absolute ball. 
and Jules Howard's book on wildlife ponds is the book to buy. If you want to do a wildlife pond, you want some ideas, do get Jules's book. It's absolutely fantastic. Cheers, Paul. The next person has actually donated three times and they've left two messages. But they've, they've remained anonymous, so I won't say their name. The first one is, cats aren't cunts, they're just misunderstood, was the first message. If you do not understand any of that, it's because a while ago I did a podcast called Cats Are Cunts, and uh, as you can imagine, not too favourable on cats. But go back and listen to it. So that person left that. I've put, I reply, because I can reply to you on buymeacoffee.com, complicated issue, but can't say I'm a fan of what they do. Left it at that. They then donated more money, which is always welcome, and then they left this message. Now, I don't want to get too deep into the cat debate because obviously we're here to talk about beavers today and be happy and be fun. And I have literally already done a podcast about cats and I will be doing another one. Cats are cunts, the sequel. There will be another one. So I'll kind of save it all for that. But I'll just read this message out and, and a quick reply. So they go on to say, I'm no naturalist, but I suspect that any species that may or may not have been tipped over the edge by domestic cat predation would have been pushed to the brink by human activity. Also... Who introduced feral cats into the wild? So which species is really to blame? Cat's gonna cat. My own cat was found abandoned and I got him neutered. He is an old and fat now and rarely kills. He has probably only killed less than 20 creatures in his entire life. Mostly mice, one frog and a few garden birds. I don't think there are many endangered species in Wigan. The biggest tragedy for me is the outcompeting of the Scottish wildcat by feral moggies. That's my uneducated opinion. I told my cat what you think of him, but he declined to comment. Okay. So, um, starting off strongly with I'm no, I'm no naturalist. Good man. Yeah, when you say that anything that would have been tipped over the edge by domestic cat predation would have been brought to the brink by human activity, I don't really understand that. I mean, th there are so many creatures that cats kill directly, and... Yeah, we have a huge impact in the environment, sure, but I'm, you know, people aren't going around stomping blue tits or booting frogs out their garden. So I think cats do have a huge impact, and I don't think that's a fair comparison. You've also put who introduced feral cats. Yeah, we did. It is, it is our fault. Hundred percent, it's our fault. Uh, feral cats are descended from uh, desert cats in the Middle East, so they're a non, they're a non-native species. They, um, they shouldn't be here. So they are going to have a huge impact on the environment. So, so we're to blame. Cat's going to cat. I really don't like this sentiment and a lot of cat owners generally go down this route. Uh, this route. If my, if I had a Rottweiler and I let it out my front door and it came back with a roe deer every week, I'd be fucking concerned. But because it's a cat and it's a small animal, people sort of put it down to, oh, Tiddles has brought home another little thing. So cats are predators, but they don't need to hunt. They, you know, they're just as happy not kill. Well, they're probably not just as happy. They want to kill stuff, don't they? So I don't think the whole cat's going to cat thing is, is particularly good. You put my own my own cat was found abandoned and I got him neutered. Yeah, nice and responsible. You've adopted a, a pet, which I'm fully behind, and you've got him neutered so he can't keep making more feral cats. So that's very responsible for you. I think that's good. You've put he's old, he's fat, and he really kills, which I can completely sympathise with. I'm, I'm pretty much there myself. He's probably only killed less than 20 creatures. How do you know that? I mean, 20 creatures he's brought home. Cats don't bring everything home. And also that sentence sort of implies that, well, 20 is okay. What what number is not okay? Is 50 okay? Is 100 okay? Uh, I don't think there's any many endangered species in Wigan. Well, there might not be endangered species in Wigan, but there are still animals that if your cat or anyone's cat hadn't have killed, 
they would have gone on to contribute to the wider ecosystem. They would have gone on to breed. They would have gone on to feed other animals, which they now won't do. The biggest tragedy for me is outcompeting of the Scottish wildcat by feral moggies. Yeah, and again, I completely agree with you there. It's, it's a real shame. Interestingly, um, where there are lots of wildcats and lots of feral cats, they don't tend to interbreed because they stick to their own. It's only when you get very few wildcats that they start hybridising because there's not, not much choice. You've also said that at the end, yeah, you've told your cat what you think and he declined to comment. If your cat's up for it, I'm more than happy to have them on as a guest on the podcast. We can sit down, we can hash this thing out, we can go to the pub after, we can have a couple of beers and we can put all this behind us. I just want to say, I might have sounded a little bit harsh when I've been replying to you there. I think that your comment is really well orchestrated. You've not resorted to saying, well, I don't like you because you don't like cats. I thought you've done it very well there. And um, I've tried to reply as best as I can. I will properly get into it in the next podcast. Like I say, I've, I've spent too much time on this anyway. So just bear with me. And then when I release the next Cats podcast, we're going to go into much more detail. And I've, I've got a guest on who is into cats and into wildlife. So we're going to have a good back and forth there. So if you've got anything that you want me to address in that, then, then put that down in a comment again and I'll, and I'll make sure that we talk about that in the next one. But I appreciate you donating. I don't necessarily agree with everything that you've put and you probably don't agree with everything that I've put, but I'm sure that we can still crack on and uh, make a nice time of it. Anyway, that was a long introduction, wasn't it? Right, let's get into today's podcast with Elliot Keane as we go around Idle Valley and look for beavers, beaver sign and just generally go beavangelical. Well, welcome to the podcast, Elliot. Thank you. So we're out on the enclosure now and we're staring at cows. Yep. Why Why have we got cows here? Well, we're here in the beaver enclosure and we've got four cows here. They're old English longhorns, uh, which are probably not a very familiar breed to most people. They're quite different to the, the Frisians and not your average dairy cow. Um, Live up to their name. I mean, those, those horns are pretty impressive. Yeah, they're pretty formidable animals and they can get quite big, uh, especially the bulls, um, which we don't have in here at the moment. Some of these are quite Oh, they're quite the, these young. are the... The girl, the yes. girl cow, a cow is a girl cow, but you know that, they're the females. <laughs> they're the cows, yeah, yeah. Oh wow, okay. Um, so they're um, they're quite an amazing animal, but they're they're quite cuddly, really. They're as close as you can get to the native aurochs that would have roamed yeah. Britain naturally, um, and still have them handleable, and um, we can do all the things that we need to do in terms of managing them for for conservation grazing. And why why are they why are they in the enclosure? What's what's their job? <laughs> what are they doing here? <laughs> um, well, it's the same with the the beavers really. All of these sort of species that should be here in ecology, we call them keystone species. All the things that they would have done, our wildlife has evolved alongside, and everything that they do has a positive impact. So these in particular, they're doing all the things that we we would have to do as as rangers, conservation managers. Ah. Um, they're eating the scrub that covers our our shorelines <laughs> as they having would a naturally. stretch with these um yeah horn on his back that's impressive sorry go on yeah that's they, very impressive. they use their horns as well to to manage the scrub so they'll pull the, the scrub down with their horns in the winter right. um, to get at the buds so they're perfectly designed for this job basically yeah they are yeah um and they create a really nice mixed sward quite tussocky a good mosaic of tufts of, of rushes along those wet shorelines and then quite short grazed areas where birds like red shank and lapwing will sort of nest on the ground in those tussocks and right. feed them more into the open but all these sorts of little things that they do wildlife's evolved alongside so even down to the dung that they provide and the fur that they provide and naturally if we could leave them the carcasses that they provide as well these yeah. are all things that wildlife's evolved for 
That makes sense. Great. Well, I'm going to let you lead. You can go past the cows first, so if they do decide to <laughs> poke us with horns, you'll get hit first. Yeah. But let's go see if we can find some beavers, shall we? Or beaver yep. sign. No problem. So we're just walking through a woody bit. Elliot's sprinting off. <laughs> Can't wait. No. No. Just through this part, and then you'll see it opens up. Okay. And this is all beavers doing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So there's quite a lot to see here. Um, so I'll point out some things. Yeah. But the first thing to say is that this whole sort of open area in the canopy is is beavers. Um, and this was only really a couple of weeks work last last winter that they did, quite soon after they arrived. And then this dense wooded area close to us, it was all like this. So they've reduced this quite a lot. And already you can see it's starting to grow back. So sometimes people think, well, if a beaver's felling trees, what if there's too many beavers and they eat all the trees? Yeah. But beavers don't kill trees when they fell them, uh, they coppice them. So you might have heard of coppicing as a, a yes, woodland management yeah, technique. Yeah, yeah. And obviously beavers were the, the first. They're coppices. doing the job for you. So yeah, this is why willow trees have evolved to be like this. And there lots of trees that beavers favour will, will coppice as well. Well, you can see all the sprigs coming out of this willow here so that's all a year's growth that's yeah. all come up yeah within. it is and what the beavers will do is they'll they'll return to that in time when it's reached the perfect size for them uh, to come back and harvest more right um so the small stuff they're going to eat and the really smallest branches with the leaves on they'll eat the whole thing and as they get larger sort of pencil sized then they're starting to leave the center and they're just eating the leaves and the bark around the outside because really beavers are like a lot of herbivores they're quite generalist and they'll eat all sorts of things that other herbivores will eat so they'll eat grasses brambles they'll eat lots of these plants on the land but really they want to be in or near to water as much as possible because that's where they feel safe their predator in the past would have been wolves yeah so that's why they eat in this way so people would say beavers sometimes people think beavers eat fish that's a quite a widespread myth yeah no i'm well aware that they don't <laughs> yeah <laughs> they um, don't eat a fish that was popularized by the narnia books so i always say to people careful where you get your science from yeah but then people also say that they eat trees that's closer to the truth but they eat parts of trees some of the year so during the winter when food's scarce they don't hibernate like a lot of mammals instead they move on to eating tree bark and the cambium and the, the living part of the tree just underneath the bark so most of a tree when it's felled you can see around us is just left but even this willow here that's felled it's got sprigs so it's not dead is it it's no. got bits coming out of it so obviously it, it's the beavers gnawed on that willow but it's not killed it yeah yeah and this one's it's come down before they've gnawed all the way through uh, which is quite quite normal this one's quite unusual they've gnawed it right until it's almost fell on them so small stuff they will do that but the larger trees they'll gnaw it to a certain stage and then they'll leave it and let the wind do the rest because they instinctively know that's safer but what that means is often they stay attached and they'll take what they need and then there'll be even more shoots coming off the side of that tree which benefits the beavers um, and benefits the tree but this one just underneath us that's come all the way off the tree is a, a good example of, of what happens when they fell a tree so you can see the, the stump is there yeah you've got regrowth which has been a bit nibbled by a deer presumably maybe the cattle in here but that's coming back from the from the base and as they've gone through lots of what they've been chewing to fell that tree isn't beaver food so they've been spitting that out and you end up with these characteristic beaver chippings that are like mulch around right the, the okay and then this is just left um, as dead wood then so they've taken off all the small branches that are good for feeding on and for building 
and then they've stripped the bark until it gets much thicker and less palatable and not worth the effort of digesting and then this is just left none of that's useful to them now so that's deadwood which is obviously a great habitat for for insects and yeah. something they've there's I mean there's fun, to do. fungi growing all you know all along some of the branches isn't there and yeah you can see all that so it's yeah. obviously and you can see the water level's really low at the moment um the roots come quite far up these willow trees around us so the water level will rise and then a lot of this will be submerged deadwood which again is a really great habitat for for aquatic insects yeah and, and they're good for juvenile larger. fish too yeah so when were beavers last in the uk then elliot so in nottinghamshire we know it was over 400 years we've got quite detailed detailed records of when they disappeared at what time because of um, hunting records so they've been hunted for thousands of years and there's a few different reasons really we know that the last record of beavers was 1789 and we know because of the detail of these hunting records that um, john swale was paid two pence for a beaver head um, wow. in <laughs> bolton percy uh, near york quite close to where there's a, a beaver enclosure now um, a reintroduction project which is quite nice but they were hunted for all sorts of reasons they were hunted for their fur makes a lot of sense their underfur is really dense um, they're actually the second furriest animal in the world so that's measuring fur density first? it is yeah, oh, you're right. yeah i know something that's good isn't it <laughs> and yeah that one makes sense um but it's actually related to the most nonsense act of parliament that i've ever heard of uh, which was in the 1630s i think there was an act of parliament that made it illegal for hats to be made of anything other than beaver fur so we've got a really strange history with beavers another reason they were hunted was meat and are they good eating i'm not i'm assuming you've not eaten no a beaver, i've not but... eaten a beaver myself no um, would you I don't know, Put maybe the in the future now. when there's lots of beavers and <laughs> we need to yeah. uh, control them without wolves here, but yeah. uh, certainly not at the moment. But they they were popular for food, were they? They were, wow. yeah, but the reason for that, obviously there's lots of easier sources of meat that yes, you can farm on yeah, the yeah, land. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the reason for that one was religion. Um, so during, it was monks and other Catholics couldn't eat meat during Lent. They could uh, only eat fish. And over time they decided, well, the beavers have got a scaly tail. They must be fish to have to eat the beavers. And as time went on, both in, in Europe and over in America as well, there they added more and more of these animals. So otters, yeah, they live with the fish. And <laughs> water birds, yeah, they're fish. And more and more of these animals were eaten. But obviously that had a, a disproportionate impact on beaver populations because they lent being around the spring. They might have had dependent young or been pregnant females. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that was quite an impact as well. But there's all sorts of reasons they were hunted for castoreum as well. Um, they were a hugely valuable animal. So castoreum is a secretion from their scent glands that they used to mark their territory. And it's quite sweet smelling and musky. So it was used in perfume. It was used in food flavorings, unbelievably. Yeah, I was going to um, say, when you know where it comes from, yeah, it it's was the last just thing like you'd want in vanilla flavoring for a mm. while it was, um, until it was uh, produced synthetically. And there was a widespread belief that it had medicinal per uh, uses as well. Yeah. And there's obviously a lot of, of nonsense medicines out there. Yeah, yeah, There was yeah. some truth in, in the, the beaver castoreum because um, their favourite tree to eat is willow, um, and willow bark has high levels of salicylic acid, which is the main ingredient in aspirin. Oh, um, okay. So there is... We don't think that in the concentrations it has any impact, but no, there's some sort of truth No, but it's not there. complete rubbish. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, they were ruthlessly hunted but prior to that they were relatively widespread in the uk then they would have been yeah so here in the enclosure how many beavers have you got at the minute we have eight um, in the enclosure at the moment so we have a family group 
uh, which is mum, dad and four kids. Um, and then we have two youngsters, we think they're around three years old, but they're quite difficult to, to age, one male and one female. And they were unpaired when they were released um, in November last year into the enclosure. And we're starting to see some signs now that they might be pairing up. Um, once they pair, oh. they pair for life. Um, so we're hopeful that we might have some kits um, oh, in fingers the crossed. next year. And this is the largest beaver enclosure in the UK, am I right in saying It that? is, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we, we're starting to see, as we sort of push for policy to change and we allow wild beavers in the UK, these enclosures are becoming more and more ambitious. So initially they were two hectares, three hectares, then there was 10, then 40 in Derbyshire, 60 here. Um, and we're really reaching the limit of what's practical. And obviously having a big fence line takes a lot of maintenance. It blocks out other wildlife, although we've got some infrastructure to try and let other wildlife in and out as much as possible. So really the focus now is on influencing policy um, and the wildlife trusts have kind of led the way on the enclosures, but even we're saying this is the limit now. We don't want any more enclosed trials. We want to yeah, get th them out in the wild. There. I guess you're, you're only gonna learn so much, aren't you? And mm. there's, I don't know how many, I know like Willington, not too far away, they've got yeah. enclosed beavers and I know there's a few other places. So it's kind of like you're just doing the same thing in yeah. lots of places. Yeah, <laughs> what we could have very easily done when we had the Scottish beaver trial back in 2008 is taken all the research from Europe and there've been over 200 reintroductions in Europe um, and all the policy information and brought them straight into the wild. But at that point we said, oh, it might be different here and uh, did our own science in Scotland. And then when we came to speak about beavers in England, we almost did the same thing again. We did our own science in England. Um, and now, yeah, like you say, we're in danger of replicating science county by county as we do in these trials. So this project does have science. We're working with Nottingham Trent University to study the beavers here. But that science is very much a case of this would be nice to know, not let's find this out before we do anything else. Yeah. Beavers are one of the most well-studied species in the world now. Yeah, um, I bet. And they're, they're quite new to a lot of people, but um, yeah, for those in the know, we, we know everything we need to know about about what they do. When you go to continental Europe, they're, you know, they're in Berlin, they're in Vienna, they're in, mm. like, you say beavers in London, people go, oh, that would never happen. But, you know, they're yeah. in a lot of other European countries, yeah. capitals, and they, they get on pretty well. So hopefully one day. So how hopeful are you that we are going to get beavers back without fences? Obviously, recently, they've just been granted legal protection in the UK. So I guess the aim one day is to kind of get some clippers and get some holes in these fences. Yeah, we have a certain number of, um, of beavers living wild in the UK now. So we have a wild living population in Scotland that's quite considerable, a population in the west and a population in the east, in Napdale and Tayside. Then we have a population in Devon as part of the, the River Otter beaver trial and they were granted sort of permission to stay officially in 2020. I think it delayed to 21 actually. And then we've got these unlicensed releases that have popped up over the past few years, but we've had sort of 20, 25 years of sort of talking about beavers now. So presumably some well-meaning well -meaning individuals have, have put these beavers out. And there was a consultation in November last year with from Natural England, putting out what they were thinking about wild beavers. Um, and the thinking at the moment is that they will be allowed to remain and breed. And they're looking at potential for licensing for wild release projects um so we're we're pushing to have that as, as soon as possible really because if yeah. we're going to allow them to remain then we might as well do it properly and have a proper yeah, self-sustaining population definitely um, in the right places um, seems to be the theme doesn't it where we're, we love to talk about these things but getting it done we just drag our or certain individuals drag their feet a little bit so hopefully we can we can get it done beavers are 
I don't, controversial is not the right word, but they do kind of stir up debate, shall mm. we say, with certain things. So I thought it'd be good to try and clear out some of those some of those issues. And I know a lot of people associate beavers with flooding, but often it's actually the opposite, isn't it, with beavers, that mm. they can mitigate flooding, particularly if they're further up a river system. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. I was just, uh, me and Sarah just had a glance at each other as the great <laughs> flew past as you were oh, did, that Oh, question. I didn't, I didn't, you um, should have pointed it out. Oh, yeah, I just straight seen that. fast, I was about to point it out and it was gone. No, go That's for it, yeah, if, I mean, I, I keep hearing a Seti's warbler as well, do you mm. hear that, like chirping up? So, no, yeah. if there's any, any birds or anything, then um, just ignore what we're on about and point that, that would have been lovely <laughs> but, to see. Yeah, but, um, yeah, flooding-wise, yeah, there's a lot of the concerns about beavers are based on sort of misconceptions about what they do. One of them is that they eat fish. Yeah. And one of them is, what if they dam big rivers and, and cause flooding? Beaver dams aren't anything like human-made dams. They're not structures that are sort of complete. They do let water in and out. They even let juvenile fish in and out. They're leaky. Yeah, to a degree. they are very <laughs> leaky, yeah. Um, and that's where these projects have come from With uh, in a lot of places. So projects with the Forestry Commission and the Forest Dean and Cropton Forest, they are based around um, flood mitigation because they were... They obviously own a lot of upland and there's flooding in those areas so under under pressure to try and reduce that as much as they can and part of that is putting these leaky dams in place and over time they decided well this is just what beavers do um, how about bringing them back so they're really great for flood mitigation obviously that water's got to go somewhere so where a beaver builds a dam some of that water is impounded behind the dam um, and you get localized flooding there and that's benefits the beavers because they want deep water to feel safe they want a large area so they can reach um, food near the water flood some trees um, so they can float timber to where they need it um, and that makes their life easy but in the process they're filtering out sediments and pollution they're slowing the flow of water off the landscape um, so you'll have localized flooding there but in quite rural areas in headwater streams obviously a lot of our main towns and cities are in next to quite big rivers because of the historical benefits. And in those places, it's plenty big enough for beavers, so they don't build dams once it's beyond a certain depth and a certain width, um, because they don't, just don't need to. And in a lot of cases, they can't uh, build dams of that scale. So in those headwater streams is where they need to do that modification to get right. the deeper water that they need. Um, and in those rural areas, you might get a corner of a field flooded um, on a farm or something like that. Um, but better there than flooding downstream in potentially people's homes and millions yeah. of pounds of damage. So with the new subsidy system coming in, Elms, there's worrying signs with the new government that's going to be scrapped. Um, but that's been there's been talk of this for a while now, so ho hopefully it won't be scrapped because there's lots of work has gone into this and the Wildlife Trusts have been involved in, in pilot schemes. So with that system, rather than being paid um, subsidies for owning agricultural land, Instead, you'll be paid public money for public goods. That's the mantra. Um, so things like flood mitigation, yeah. um, landowners will be paid for that. Um, and obviously water quality improvements and things and carbon sequestration that beavers are really great at as well. Yeah. Um, they'll be paid for that. So um, you get that localised flooding, but downstream, the benefits are huge. Um, and not only do they prevent flooding by slowing the flow of water, in that way they also um, mitigate drought as well. It's going to make kind of wet meadow habitat and things like that, which will mm. stop drying up as much. So presumably, if you're in, if you live by one of these headwaters and a, and a beaver's causing a dam near populations, there'll be action plans in place to stop it causing any issues for people who live there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. so there's some um, some roles being put in place now in 
Natural England and the Environment Agency and um, there'll be there'll be people to call in the know and we'll kind of get used to these yeah. animals being around again and what we need to do. Um, but yeah, there will be that sort of hierarchy of action and the first one will be, well, can we just tolerate them doing what they do? Yeah. Uh, because if we try and mitigate what they're doing everywhere, then it'll cost a lot of money and we won't get the benefits of, of flood mitigation and things. Um, but in places where we can't allow them to, to do what they do, then there is some there are some really simple mitigation techniques so okay. uh, for things like um, dams what you have is um, you have flow devices so you can have a pipe through the dam a cage on either end underneath the water so we know that it's the trickling sound of water that triggers beavers to fix the dam um, and we know that because scientists put out speakers playing the sound and they piled on mud and sticks onto these speakers oh, really? <laughs> um, so quite a nice simple experiment but what that means is that with the pipe underwater and caged, um, the beavers don't feel the need to, to fix that dam. And it means that you can maintain the water level within an acceptable threshold, but the dam can remain and the beavers can remain. So they're called beaver deceivers sometimes. Um, <laughs> yeah, so there's that, that one's quite a complicated one for, for dams, um, but there's lots of things people worry about. Certain trees being eaten as part of conflict with beavers. Um, and individual tree protection is really easy. It can be a sandy paint mix or a wire mesh around those trees. Um, but the main thing to say with beavers is that uh, we know from studies around Europe, um, if you average everything out, about 98% of the conflict with beavers is within 20 meters of the watercourse. And 90% of the conflict is within 10 meters of the watercourse. So all you need with beavers is these buffer zones along watercourses and you've got hardly any of the conflict yeah. so the first thing to say is well is the tree that you're concerned about within, within that? that the beaver trust did a film recently about buffer zones which is it's a free i'm, I'm slightly biased because i featured in it but it's a really good film that's all about buffer zones yeah and that's well worth it. i'll put a link to it in the description if anyone's interested in that but that was talking about how important buffer zones are for yeah. rivers in general but also kind of yeah beavers. yeah with or without beavers it's a mm. smart thing to do with um limited runoff and creating habitat corridors and Definitely. all that kind of thing my uh kind of interest is fish as I'm sure a lot of people will know and I know certainly among a lot of anglers they get a little bit worried about fish migration mm. and how some of these dams particularly in the headwaters might affect spawning success of things like salmon and trout so I wondered if that's anything that you've kind of come across like is there any studies to show that particularly salmonids are affected by beaver uh, beaver dams or is it not as big a worry for people who quite keen on their fish like me <laughs> yeah yeah it's not uh, not as much of a worry uh, it's certain certainly a much more reasonable worry than um sort of eating fish or yeah. dying big rivers that yeah. uh, we just know for sure there's no issue there at all so there have been studies on it uh, as part of the scottish beaver trial um there were there was lots of study around it there that was a big concern um in scotland and yeah the thing to say is they've evolved together and there were certainly a lot more of these migratory fish when the beavers are around and we weren't but they are yeah the dams are semi-permeable so the juvenile fish can move through them and then in high water uh, sorry high flow when the water's coming over the dam those fish can jump over the dam same as they would with natural falls on in rivers yeah but yeah there's lots of lots of study around it but the main thing to say is it's a net positive impact and yeah they've evolved with each other some of the best sort of salmon rivers in in norway are the the ones with the most beavers yeah yeah, yeah that, that makes sense i know just from speaking to other people saying the beaver dams obviously great habitat for the juveniles to hide from predators mm. and there's lots of food there for them and to get yeah. out of floods and things like that so i think it's, it's probably naive to think that there's no effect to fish migration mm. but is there a big enough effect that it's going to cause numbers to decline i, I would probably say not no. and i think the positives will outweigh any major 
negatives yeah would be would be my opinion and which kind of brings me on neatly to the next bit which was are there any other kind of ecological benefits of, of having beavers because they are just this this engineer of wetland landscapes mm. aren't they yeah yeah they're amazing really um all the little things that they do um have have an impact so um it's really hard to to summarize and we have already they, talked um, about a few to be fair so they've got um obviously the, there's the deadwood um there's the clearing of these areas so this this sort of clearing that we're in at the moment they've moved on to another area now we've got quite a few um quite a few beavers in quite a large area so they've moved on to another area but as we get more beavers in the landscape they'll be able to maintain open areas as they coppice um, the willow and this this reed bed around us the idea particularly in here is that as they manage this similar age scrub that's really tricky for us to keep on top of um, that'll let more light in especially along the shorelines and we'll have more reed bed which is a great habitat um, for well it's nationally important um, but particularly important in in nottinghamshire as well uh, great for warblers in britain and yeah well we've uh, heard, heard the today haven't we yeah um, uh... so there's the deadwood there's the the habitat modification they thin out the um the canopy around those riparian areas really great for bats they create standing deadwood as well which is a great habitat by ring barking trees there's some debate and we can have a look at some signs later on um about whether they sort of know what they're doing um, or whether it's just instinct because there seems to be some sort of whether they can forward plan or whether it's chance um, <laughs> there's a bit of debate because Planning they do beavers, ring yeah. bark trees and that means that as that tree dies it might be particularly big and difficult to fell and not that useful to them or it might be an unpalatable species but if they ring bark them and kill the tree as that declines it lets light to the, the forest floor they get much more of that young herbaceous growth uh, okay. um, and young trees that is more useful to them um, but that standing deadwood is a great habitat. So lesser spotted um, woodpeckers, I think they favour that for nesting. Don't yeah, they, so. and we're finding that willow tits are doing really well in these areas as well. Um, so they seem to be quite closely associated with beavers. Yeah. But we're finding a lot of those associations. So another one, um, another critically endangered species is uh, water bowls. And if you sort of looked in a, a textbook or spoke to someone about what you what habitat you need for water bowls, it would be sort of a around a metre deep, around half a metre wide um, channels, um, free of woody vegetation, nice herbaceous plants, um, lots of light. And um, then if you see what a beaver makes in terms of canals, well, it's about a metre deep, half a metre wide, yeah. free of woody vegetation. Um, so we're finding lots of these species are really adapted um, to live with beavers and they're just clinging on in other habitats that suit them better. Have um, you got waterfalls on site are there any waterfalls here where we haven't found them in here yet but no. when when we set up the project we were thinking about doing a, a sort of joint project and having waterfalls in the enclosure as well oh okay um, well that'd be brilliant and we're still looking into that yeah um, historically yeah. they were idle i think weren't they i'm pretty sure they yeah. were not that long ago yeah it's just you know take your pick of reasons why waterfalls are declining, yeah we do but... have american mink here yeah uh, which is the main problem here so it would be a case of um trapping american mink out of the enclosure yeah um and then we could have a project in here how brilliant um, to get a good population get everything back let's go for it you've also got beaver tours so if people want to come and see the signs of these beavers or potentially see a beaver that's something that nottinghamshire wildlife trust is running courses on yeah so we we have a couple of types of um, tours at the moment we're running the uh, beaver enclosure tours so they're in the daytime and we you can come into the enclosure we'll talk about beavers and what they do uh, we'll have a look at the project and the sort of habitat that they're in and then we'll walk around and we'll look at some of the field signs and what the beavers have been up to so um, felling tree felling um, 
you'll see debarked sticks and some digging. Um, we're looking around for lodges and things that they're building. Um, and then later on um, next year, we're hoping to launch beaver watching tours. Um, so as I mentioned, this is a really big enclosure. So we're trying to find where the active lodges um, with camera trapping, yeah. uh, mainly just finding out where they're active. And once we've found that, beavers are really creatures of habit. So we'll find out what sort of time they emerge from the lodge, set up a bit of a regular viewpoint, um, and then there'll be beaver watching tours uh, coming up as well that we'll do at dusk. So pretty unique opportunity. And, and what, what do they cost? Or what, what do the current co tours cost? Uh, the beaver enclosure tours are only £15. Well, it's bargain. <laughs> so it's quite a unique experience uh, for that, yeah. That sounds great. Well, yeah, I mean, I'd definitely recommend it, like, just to kind of see how often do you get to see a tree that's been nibbled by a beaver or an old lodge or something. It is absolutely phenomenal. But that was really interesting stuff. So thanks for that, Elliot. And no should problem. we go and have a look at some more beaver signs? Yeah, let's do it. That was Elliot Keane. Absolutely fantastic to see the enclosure, see some beaver signs, some really fresh beaver sign as well. And hopefully I'll go back one day and get to see some beavers. I think it's an interesting topic, and certainly coming from the fish perspective, not like me, I think beavers, the good will outweigh the bad in most cases. When you look at some of the more wild rivers and the larger rivers, like my, you know, my local river Trent, I think beavers would be fine there. They're not going to cause too much of a, a problem. When you look at these small chalk streams in the south of England, that's going to be interesting because one of the common arguments is that beavers and salmon have co-evolved over millennia. Yes, they have, but they've not co-evolved in the rivers that we have today because our rivers are so canalised and, and we've dramatically, since Roman times, we've changed our rivers. So these small chalk streams, which are already under a tremendous amount of stress, if beavers are added to the mix, it's going to be interesting. I'm not saying I'm against it, I'm just pointing out potential problems and... We'll see. Time will tell. Time will tell indeed. Now, if you want to help the podcast and you want to donate, you can do so via buymeacoffee.com. And you can donate £5, £10, however much you want. And you can do it anonymously. You can leave a message. So if you leave a message, I'll read it out in the following week's podcast. So do please do that if you want to help support it. We are currently running a microphone fund. So I'm trying to raise money to buy a new microphone. And currently... I have a look at my dashboard. We are 74% of £500. That's how much I need. So we're quite away already. It's only three episodes in. So if you want to donate, help me get those new microphones, please do so. Next week, I've got Michael Walker, who also works for Nottinghamshire Wildlife Trust. But we're not beavering. We're after another mammal beginning with B, bats. I've been wanting to go bat detecting for years. And I managed to convince Michael to take me out and we go to Ploughman's Wood, where we go surveying bats, and then afterwards we go to Collet Country Park, and we take the bat detector, and we get to hear some bats. Absolutely incredible experience, and I'm sure you'll all enjoy it. This has been the Bearded Tits Podcast. I've been your host, Jack Perks, and I'll see you next Tuesday. Cheers.